0: Well over the years uh, I've received some amazing invitations, Uh, invitations to lots of wedding celebrations and uh, that's always been fun, Uh, an invitation to the dress rehearsal of the Sydney Olympics opening ceremony, Mm, that was pretty awesome, Uh, an invitation to dine at Government House, you know down there next to uh, the Botanical Gardens here in Sydney and can I say very (laughs) la-di-da. An invitation to ride in a friend's friend's hot air balloon. Well, that was pretty exciting. And once, I even received an invitation to eat with an elder. Mm, incredible. <laughs> it's true, I've received some amazing invitations over the years. Uh, but I've got to say that none of them, uh, not one of them, uh, even begins to compare to the amazing, absolutely brilliant, uh, life-changing invitation. Uh, that Jesus sets before each and every one of us uh, today in today's passage from Matthew. If you don't already have your Bible open in front of you at Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, can I encourage you to grab a Bible now? You don't want to miss this. This is um, uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, and it can be found on page 689 of the small print or 1513 of the large print Bibles. Now, of course, so far in the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen Jesus declaring that the kingdom of heaven is near, and we've seen him declare that he himself is the key to entering into that kingdom. But of course, not everybody has uh, believed this message, have they? And uh, last week, we saw Jesus denouncing the various towns that have rejected him and rejected his message, uh, despite the great miracles that he's done in those towns. And at this point, you might be expecting Jesus to be feeling, well, rather discouraged to be rejected by all these people. Uh, But he isn't, not at all. Uh, Instead, Jesus knows that ultimately uh, it is his heavenly father who decides who accepts or rejects his message. Uh, For those people who think of themselves as wise and learned, in other words, those people who think of themselves as experts, in life and in the things of God. To all those self-reliant know-it-alls who see no need for Jesus, well, to these ones, God is happy to simply leave them in the dark, to simply leave them in their unbelief. But to those who are like little children, who see themselves as as needy, as uh, requiring help, to those who are willing to humbly listen to Jesus and accept his message, well, to these ones, God is happy to open up their eyes to all the truths of Jesus and his message. See, ultimately, Jesus knows that God is the one in control, the one in control of those who who accept or reject his message. So Jesus doesn't get all discouraged. Instead, he praises his heavenly father. And then Jesus goes on to point out that there is, in fact, no other way to truly know God the Father than through himself. That as God's son, Jesus is in a unique position to make God known to people. Not just known in an an intellectual sense, but known in a, a relational sense. Jesus is the key to bringing people into fellowship, into relationship with God. He read with me from chapter 11, verse 25, 1125. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things, that is, the, the truths of Jesus' message, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. See, as the Son of God, Jesus is the key to knowing God, to having fellowship with him. And so if you want to have relationship with God, then you've got to come to Jesus like a needy child, Not all wise and learned and self-sufficient, but like a needy child. And it's in this context that Jesus then goes on to make an extraordinary offer. In fact, the most amazing invitation you will ever hear. An invitation to anyone who's weary or burdened to come to him so that he can give them Rest. Suddenly all the bleary-eyed people here this morning who were up way too late last night or had to wake up early to cook barbecues this morning are thinking, yes, finally, some rest. But I don't think that that's necessarily the kind of rest that Jesus has in mind here. Now, I think he's got something much deeper in mind here. And I think for us to truly understand this invitation, we first need to understand what... Rest is in the Bible and what it means in the Bible when people are weary and burdened. So what does it mean? Well, you might remember that the first rest that we hear about in the Bible is the rest that God takes on the seventh day of creation. God did the work of creation for six days, didn't he? And then on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. Not because he was tired, no, God doesn't get tired, but he rested in order to enjoy his creation, to to enjoy all that he had made. And so it's into that rest that Adam and Eve then find themselves walking with God in the cool of the evening, there in the, the Garden of Eden. Resting with God. You see, true biblical rest is ultimately about an intimate, peaceful, loving relationship with God. It's about enjoying God. It's about enjoying the blessings of God. It's about resting in relationship with our creator. True rest. But of course, that original rest was lost, wasn't it? Lost when those first people sinned and so were cast out of God's presence. They lost their rest with God. Cast out of this garden of rest. Replaced with a life in a weary, fallen world full of burdens. But then, of course, later in the Bible, we see that rest restored once again, don't we? Restored as God's people enter into the promised land. Uh, In fact, it's uh, Joshua who describes the promised land as a place of rest. Because there again, you see, people are in the presence of God, enjoying him, enjoying his blessings, enjoying relationship with God. Rest once again. But then, of course, as you know, the people's sin again robbed them of that rest. The people thrown out of the promised land and taken away into exile under God's judgment. And so now, now as we come to the time of Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew, we find the people back in the promised land, yes. But though they're back physically, spiritually speaking, they're still very much in exile. The effects of sin remain. And so they're not at rest. I mean, think, think about it for a moment. They're under the rule of a, a foreign oppressor, the Romans. And, and think about it. The people, they, they still get sick, paralysed, and blind, and mute, and deaf, and demon-possessed. They face storm on, storms on the sea, their little girls die. God's judgment remains. And so their souls are weary and weighed down. And it's in this light that Jesus now says to these people, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I Will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weighed down and discouraged and hurt by all the effects of sin in this broken, fallen world, and I, Jesus says, will give you rest. I will give you relief. I will put you back in relationship with God, your Creator in the way that it was always meant to be that's his invitation not that this invitation comes without its obligations no it does jesus says that to take up his invitation will also mean taking up his yoke you know what a yoke is no it's not something that a yomedian tells Bad yoke, apparently. (laughs) You know what a yoke is? I've got a picture of a yoke here. That's a yoke. A yoke is something that a servant puts across their shoulders uh, to, to help them carry stuff. So Jesus is saying, if you want to accept my invitation, you'll need to become my servant. You'll have to become my disciple too. You'll have to listen to me. You'll have to learn from me. In other words, this rest that Jesus offers comes with certain obligations. You'll need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But Jesus wants you to know that that He is no taskmaster. No, He says that His yoke is easy, It, it, it fits well. And His burden is not heavy, it's light. He's no taskmaster. He's not harsh. Instead, he's he's gentle and, and humble in heart. In other words, he's not in this for himself. He's in this for the best. He wants the best for those who would come to him and follow him and receive this invitation from him. Read with me from verse 28. Verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary... And burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, so Jesus invites all those who are weary in this world to find rest. In him, rest for their souls. Wow, what an invitation. But then, of course, all of this means nothing if Jesus isn't actually able to make good on the promises of this invitation. Doesn't mean anything at all, does it? If he doesn't have the authority to do what he promises, if he's not able to give this kind of rest, means nothing. So then, is he? Is he able to do it? Well, we get to find out in the rest of today's passage. Because as we read on, we, we now see the, uh, Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field. They're walking through a grain field. And it just so happens that they're doing this on the Sabbath. In other words, on the day of rest. Okay, now, don't let the significance of that pass you by, will you? You might remember that one of God's Old Testament commands was that his people were to observe a day of rest. It was from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. It was a day when the people were to stop their regular work, stop their regular jobs, so that they could enjoy the fruits of their work and enjoy fellowship with God. So It was just a little taste of what Adam and Eve enjoyed with God there in the garden. And so it was a good command, a a, a beautiful command. And here we see the the disciples enjoying the Sabbath, walking through a grain field with Jesus. But they're not alone. Uh, They're in the grain field. There are some Pharisees as well. Now, of course, the, the Pharisees, Uh, were a group of religious leaders, and uh, for them, rules were very, very important. Uh, What rules? Well, God's rules, God's Old Testament rules. And these Pharisees, they made it their job to study in detail all of God's laws. And then what they did is they debated those laws and and tried to work out what do they mean in detail, and and what, what do those laws look like? How do they work out? in real-life situations. And so when it came to a law like the Sabbath, well, the Pharisees had come up with their own interpretation of what that law meant. So they took God's good command, don't work on the Sabbath, and then they asked questions like, well, hmm, what does it exactly mean to work? And they concluded things, well, like, oh, well, it would, be, it would be carrying things around, carrying heavy loads around, wouldn't it? That would, that would be work. Which then led them to ask further questions like, well, <clears throat> what, what exactly constitutes heavy? And then on and on it went. And, and so they spent endless hours arguing about whether a man was allowed to lift a lamp and move it from one place in his house to another on the Sabbath. Or whether it was a sin for a tailor to walk out his front door on the Sabbath with a needle tucked in his robe. And so you see these extra rules became the essence of the Pharisees' religion and what God had originally intended as a beautiful command that would enhance people's relationship with him... The Pharisees destroyed the blessing and become a burden on people. Instead of them being able to enjoy God and rest with God, led to the people being all stressed out about whether they were going to get something wrong. But the Pharisees considered themselves the experts in this area. And so as far as they were concerned, their teachings were the key to true rest, to keeping God happy. And so not surprisingly, uh, when the Pharisees see Jesus' disciples picking grain with their hands in the grain fields, on the Sabbath, well, they get most upset. Because to them, picking grain with your hand, well, 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 that's work. Must be a form of reaping. So the Pharisees go up to Jesus and they bark at him, look at what your disciples are doing. Can't you see that they're breaking the law? Very posh um, Pharisees, (laughs) these (laughs) people. Can't you see they're breaking the law? At least least their interpretation of the law. But Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples, and they're they're not doing anything wrong. Instead, he turns to the Pharisees and he explains to them that actually... He is the real authority when it comes to matters of rest. He is the expert, not them. And he does that by comparing himself to some other people with authority. Firstly, Jesus compares himself to David from the Old Testament. Jesus gets the Pharisees to remember the time when David and his men were really, really hungry. And so David went into the house of God. He went into the tabernacle and he ate the consecrated bread. Um, which, of course, only the priests were permitted to eat. Uh, now, why was David able to do that and not be guilty? Well, it all came down to the authority that, that David had, he, his authority as God's anointed one on God's mission. Uh, that, that's what made it okay for him to do what it was not okay for most ordinary people to do, in the same way, you know, a, an ambulance driver uh, ha- has the authority to speed down Anderson Street here uh, when he's on a special mission. Um, that ambulance driver has the authority to, to, to do what most of us ordinary people would be booked for doing. Well, Jesus is saying that he has the same authority as David and, and then secondly, uh, Jesus reminds the Pharisees about how it's okay for, for the priests to be working in the temple on the Sabbath. Sabbath. They're allowed to do that. Why? Well, again, it all comes down to their authority and the importance of their mission, their, their important work there in the temple. And Jesus' point here is that his work is even more important than the work of the temple because he is greater than the temple. And so according to Jesus, he has an authority that the Pharisees do not have he is the expert here, not them. All the Pharisees are doing with their extra laws is burdening people, not giving them rest, burdening them. Just like the religious leaders in the days of Isaiah, these Pharisees have focused on laws at the expense of people. That's not what God wants. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, He desires what's good for people, not just mindless rules and regulations. And so, according to Jesus, yes, His disciples have transgressed these extra rules that the Pharisees have laid before them. But ultimately, the Pharisees are not the final authority. He is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of rest. And it's with that authority that Jesus declares his disciples innocent. Here, read with me from chapter 12, verse one 12.1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered them, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he ate, he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man, that is himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. You See, Jesus, not the Pharisees, is the authority when it comes to matters of rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of Rest. And with that, uh, Jesus and his disciples leave the grain fields. And they go and they enter into one of the local synagogues. Uh, but apparently these uh, Pharisees aren't finished with Jesus just yet. And so they go there too, uh, with the intention of trying to trap Jesus, of trying to get him into trouble somehow. And they're in the synagogue happens to also be a man with, with a shriveled hand. Okay, a shriveled hand. I mean, obviously a man who has suffered much in this world. With not just a shriveled hand, but with a weary soul. But for the Pharisees, this man is nothing more than bait for their trap. And so they asked Jesus, Jesus... Is it lawful to heal someone like, say, this man here? Is it lawful to heal someone like this on the Sabbath? And, of course, you've guessed it. According to the Pharisees, they've already concluded that no, it's not lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath because what healing would that would be work, wouldn't it? So in reply, Jesus simply points out their hypocrisy and he asks them a question. He says, okay, fellows, which of you, uh, if you had a sheep and it happened to fall into a ditch on the Sabbath, uh, which of you wouldn't go to that sheep and pick it out of the ditch and rescue it, even though it's the Sabbath? Which, which one? And, of course, Jesus knows that each of them would get their sheep out of the ditch, even if, even, even if it was the Sabbath, hence the hypocrisy of these Pharisees not to mention their complete lack of love for people. And so Jesus declares the truth of what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. He declares that it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. That doing what is good is something that we should never take a break from. And with that, Jesus gets this weary man to stretch out his withered hand, and he heals it completely, miraculously, right there in front of the Pharisees. And what do the Pharisees do? And what do these wise and learned men do? Rejoice that the man has been healed. Repent. Repent. And come to Jesus in faith. Take a moment to think that maybe there is just something about Jesus and his message. No, they go away and they plot how they're now going to kill Jesus. Read with me from chapter 12, verse 9, 12, 9. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. (laughs) Note that they didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, is it lawful to plot to kill somebody on the Sabbath? (laughs) Well, when Jesus learns about the plot of the Pharisees, uh, he doesn't want a confrontation with them. He he doesn't want to stand and yell at them and defiantly defend himself or anything like that. No, he just walks away. And unsurprisingly, uh, lots of people follow him out of the synagogue. You know, all the people who saw the great miracle there. Well, now they go and get all their friends and family who are sick and suffering and weary, and, and and, and they bring them to Jesus. And on this day of rest, Jesus does lots and lots more good, healing them all, uh, bringing rest to all the weary that come to him. And as Matthew uh, writes all this, he can't help but see that Jesus is ultimately the great servant uh, that Isaiah prophesied about centuries earlier, uh, the one who would have God's spirit upon him, uh, the one who wouldn't quarrel or, or yell or fight back when treated poorly, but the one who would be tender uh, to the downtrodden, to the weary, um, to the bruised reed and the the smouldering wick. Uh, The one who in the end would bring justice to victory. In other words, the one who in the end would set all things right in this world just as the way God intended. A A hope that would be not just for the people of Israel, but for weary people everywhere. In all the nations of the world, yes, including Australia, it is, of course, the hope of heaven. Read with me these final verses from chapter 12, verse 15. Twelve fifteen. Aware that the Pharisees were plotting to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smouldering wick, he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And with that, today's passage ends. And so, friend, as we now come to think about the significance of this passage for us here today, let me begin by asking you a question. Are you weary? Are you weary? I don't just mean were you up too late last night. I mean are you are you weary in the biblical sense? Are you weary and burdened in your soul? You know, wearied by your own sin. Wearied by the sin of others, wearied by this broken world in which we live with all its hurts and disappointments. Life can be hard, can't it? With all its anxieties and uh, temptations relationship problems and financial strains and accidents, all the expectations of those around us and disease and death. Life can be hard. Life can be also wearying. Are you weary? So then, friend, let me also ask, what is it that you reach for when you're feeling this weariness? What do you reach for when you're weary? Do you reach for the chocolate bar? (laughs) Is that what you reach for? Or do you reach for the remote control? Do you reach for that website? Do you reach for your credit card? Do you reach for the travel brochure? you reach for the bottle <clears throat> do you reach for the arms of the one who is not yours to have the Pharisees with all their rules about keeping the Sabbath thought that they were the experts on rest but in the end their way all their rules offered no true rest In fact, they burdened people all the more. Friend, don't be like them, will you? Thinking that you're the expert, thinking that you don't need Jesus, thinking that all those other things will bring you the relief that you crave. No, friend, Jesus is the expert here, He is the true authority. He is the Lord of rest. He is the very source of rest. Friend, listen to his invitation and come to him. What will it mean to come to Jesus in our weariness? Well, I think it means at least three things. Firstly, I think it means coming to Jesus for salvation, first and foremost coming to Jesus for salvation and letting him release us once and for all from the burden of sin and guilt as we find forgiveness in him through his death on the cross. Finding in Jesus that intimate, personal, loving relationship with God that our souls long for. And then resting in the knowledge that God is forever ours. Firstly, it means coming to Jesus for salvation. Secondly, I think coming to Jesus will mean now living life his way. It'll mean putting on his yoke and being his disciple. Now, I know that on the surface, the thought of becoming his servant and and thought of obedience might not sound like rest to you but the fact is when you're living with Jesus as your Lord living life his way the fact is you are doing exactly what you've been created for you see it's the train that leaves the tracks that it's been created for that is not free In the same way, it's as we obey Jesus, our gentle and humble creator, that's when we find true freedom. That's when we find true rest in our lives. So secondly, obedience. And thirdly, I think it means coming to Jesus in all the weary moments of our lives. You know, all those times when we're tempted to reach out for the chocolate bar or whatever it might be relief. I think it means in those weary moments we need to turn first to Jesus pouring out our hearts to him in prayer letting him refresh us as we open up his word the Bible and reading again his wonderful promises there especially his promises that this world is not all there is As Isaiah prophesied, that the day is coming when all things will finally be put right in this world, once and for all, when sin and the weariness of this world will be no more. The day when we will finally walk side by side with our creator in heaven. Our friend, can you imagine that? Yep. Most awesome invitation ever, wouldn't you say? Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friend, do you want that? Me too. Let's pray. Father, we're weary. We're weary with this world. Uh, weary with all the sin and brokenness. Father, we thank you that Jesus offers weary people like us this amazing invitation. Father, we want it so very much. We, we accept. Father, in our times of weariness, please help us to come to Jesus, finding rest in the forgiveness of our sins. Um, rest as we obey Him. Uh, rest as we cry out to you in prayer and rest as we trust in the good promises of your word. Father, we praise you that the day is coming when we will not be weary anymore. And so, Father, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.